Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Hi, morning church. How are you all doing? Yeah, really happy to be uh, with friends uh, this morning. And uh, Pastor Daniel was my first cell leader okay, when I first came to church. That's like 16, 17 years ago. Wow. It's, uh, it's a, again, it's a joy to be here. Now, I have really had some very, very powerful encounters with God here at the City Church and in the meetings that you all had. And uh, I really believe this is a place where the fire of God has fallen and the fire of God will continue to fall. And I want to share this morning a message now you can you can uh, you can choose your own title. Okay, you can call it sustaining the fire. You can call it keeping the fire burning. Whichever you like. Okay, I want to talk about. I want to share with us a few principles in the Word of God. How we can lay the sacrifices that God requires at the altar, because fire always falls on sacrifice. And I I want to share with us you know a few principles of how as we lay this sacrifice at the altar the fire of God will continually and always fall. So let's turn our Bibles first of all to Luke, uh, sorry, not Luke, Leviticus chapter 9 and verse 24. Leviticus 9 and verse 24. Okay, reading from Leviticus 9:24, it says here, And fire came out from before the Lord, and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Now turn three uh, chapters uh, in front to Leviticus 6 and verse 12. Leviticus 6 verse 12. It says here, And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out, and the priests shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order on it, and he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offering. Verse 13, A fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. So we see here in these two passages of scriptures that God is the one who lights the fire on the altar, and it is the priest, it is us who keep it burning. God lights the fire in our hearts and it is our responsibility to keep that fire burning. It is no one else's responsibility. It's not the responsibility of your shepherd, your cell leader, your pastor to keep that fire burning. It is our own responsibility to tend and to keep that fire burning in our hearts. Yes? God lights the fire, the priests keep it burning. And so how do we sustain that fire and not just sustain it, not just maintain it, but to bring an increase to that fire that is burning in our lives for the Lord. Now, if we read the Bible, we will read of many great men who did great exploits for the Lord. They brought great revival, great reformation. Okay, If we were to put it into uh, today's terms, we will call it a reformation or a revival. They brought great transformation to the nation of Israel. And one of them is this man by the name of Hezekiah. You know, he did great things. He brought transformation. He brought a nationwide revival to the nation of Israel. Yet his life ended poorly. And we don't want to be like them. We want to learn from their lives and 
at the end of our lives, we don't want to just start well, but we want to end well. And so we need to understand not just how to maintain that fire, to sustain that fire, but to keep it burning and keep it increasing in our lives so that at the end of our lives, we will end well. God wants us to burn for something, yes? Life is too short for us to not burn for something. Really, it is really that burning passion of God in our hearts that makes discipline pleasurable. Now, how many of you go to the gym? Like me, you can tell, right? (laughs) Sorry, actually I don't. Now, those of you who go to the gym, once a year I go to the gym when I need to pass my IPBT. Okay? And uh, where is my fitness instructor? Where's Derek? Oh, okay. This is my fitness instructor at Bodo MCC. Can you believe it? At Bodo Camp. You know? And uh, so once a year I go to the gym. And when I go to the gym, sometimes you, know, you see these men, okay? You see these men who are just carrying the weights, okay? And, you know, as they are carrying the weights, they let out this all kinds of animal-sounding, <laughs> agonizing grunts, like... <laughs> and, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm looking at them, I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is what's going on in my mind when I, when I see them trying to push these weights, okay, and, and they are like... <laughs> in all kinds of agony on their faces, okay. I'm thinking to myself, hey, bro, if it's so difficult... Chill lah, just go home and sleep lah. Why you make things difficult for yourself? You must enjoy it, right? Like, <laughs> and if it's so difficult, if it's really so agonizing, why don't you just go home and sleep, you know, lie on the couch, eat ice cream or watch TV or something like that, you know? You see, but the reason why they are willing to go through that pain is because they have a passion, a burning fire in their hearts to have a certain type of body. So it is passion, it is that the fire of God burning in our hearts that makes discipline pleasurable. That discipline alone cannot sustain us. There must be a passion. And when we have a passion for the things of God, we put discipline in, it will bring us somewhere. God is a passionate God. He's not like, you know, status quo, chill. He's passionate. He's, he, is, he is emotional. He's an all-consuming fire, the Bible says. If you read Revelation chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible will say this, that when we look into the eyes of Jesus, His eyes are like flames of fire. His passion for us are like flames of fire. He burns with emotions for us. And so as born-again believers, if we are born again with the nature of God in us, we have that DNA to burn for something. We have that DNA in us, not just to live a status quo life, but it is our nature to burn. It is our nature to live on the age. It is our nature to be consumed with that fiery passion of God. You see, but religion will hate passion and fire. 
religion hates a fiery expression of passion. Just like we read in the Gospels, okay, when Mary of Bethany came into the house where Jesus was, broke that alabaster flask of that costly oil of spike nut upon the Lord, anointed the Lord for burial. And the religious people, they all criticized her. Why? Because religion, religious people, they don't like expressions of passion and fire. They'll be like, hey, why are you, why, why are you so excited during praise and worship? Why you jump up and down? Why you, yeah? you see, but God wants to put a fire in our hearts for the right things. Passionate and on fire people, they do crazy things. They do crazy things. People who are in love, they do crazy things. The lovers will accomplish things that discipline alone cannot accomplish. And when two people are in love, you really don't have to sit them down and say, hey, can you spend more time thinking about each other? Can you spend more time talking to each other? No, you don't have to. Why? Because they are in love. Their hearts are burning in love for each other. And so, fire always falls on sacrifice. So to have the fire of God continually fall on our hearts, we need to lay that wood, that sacrifice, so to speak, on the altar of our hearts so that the fire of God can fall. Now, if I were to ask us a question, okay, how many of us want the fire of God to burn in our hearts. I'm sure all of us will, as good believers. We all want. So we must understand, what does God require? What is the sacrifice we have to lay on the altar? And this altar is not just an area in front of the church auditorium. This altar is our hearts. And what are the sacrifices that we have to lay on our hearts so the fire of God can fall? In, in the 19th century, the early, not 19th century, 18th century, there's this man by the name of Smith Wickersworth. Some of us will know him. All right. During his time, he was a controversial guy. You know? He would punch people, okay, and cancers, were, cancers and tumors would fall out of people's body when he punches them. He would, in the name of Jesus, you know, and, and he would do all kinds of things that during his time, he's very controversial. Now that he's dead, we celebrate him, okay? And... Uh, you know, and, and, and one of the controversial things that he said was this, okay? He said, if God is not moving in a meeting, I will move him. You know? Of course, we like that now. We're like, wow, that's a powerful quote. But can you imagine, really, okay, if someone comes and says, if God is not moving, I will move him. I'm sure we are all posted on Facebook, wow, this guy, heretic, false teaching. How can you say you, you, you move God? But Smith Wigglesworth said that, you know, if God is not moving, I will move him. Let me explain on his behalf what does he mean. Let me put it into a context. He is saying this, that God always wants to move. God's love for people is such that he always wants to move. He always wants to touch lives. He always wants to encounter lives. He always wants to heal people. There's no doubt about it. 
But the thing is this, that he requires a living offering. God requires like somebody who will lay their lives at the altar as a living sacrifice and say, God, if you, are, if you want to move, move through me. Let me be that living offering through which you can move and touch life. So that's what Smith Wigglesworth is saying. If God wants to move and there's no one who wants to be that living offering, let me be the one to lay myself at the altar and so God can move through me. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 13. And I'll spend the rest of my time camping at uh, Hebrews 13 and verse 15. Are you okay? Yes. Hebrews 13 and verse 15. It says here in Hebrews, uh, the 13th chapter, verse 15, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Verse 16. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So if you were to ask me, okay, so what are the sacrifices that God requires? The answer is in these two verses. In verse 16, the writer of Hebrews says, with such sacrifices, plural, God is well pleased. What are these sacrifices? First, the sacrifice of praise in verse 15. And then in verse 16, it says, Do not forget to do good and to share. And it is with these three sacrifices that God is well pleased. The sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of doing good, and the sacrifice of sharing. And in this word here, uh, there's translated sharing comes from the Greek word koinonia. Or, you know, fellowship, relationship, community. So, so the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, the sacrifices that God are well pleased are praise, good works, and fellowship, and community. And you will realize that two out of three of the sacrifices that God is well pleased with is relational, concerns people around us concerns the relationships that we have. Now, we are part of a community, all right, that, that wants to see breakthroughs, that wants to see God heal people, that wants to see miracles, that wants to see, you know, all kinds of miracles and signs and wonders break out among us. And there are, there are times where in our pursuit of these things, we, we need to, to draw back uh, sort of, you know, not, not stopping our pursuit of this, but just to, to check ourselves, why is it that we pursue these things? And we will realize that it is for the sake of loving people that we pursue these things. It's not so that we can have a testimony, we can add some testimonies of some amazing miracles to our CV, to our resume, but it's really for the sake of loving people that we pursue the healing anointing, we pursue the breakthrough, you know, we pursue people being set free and so on. It is really in the context of community and loving the people that God has placed around us. Now, let, let me confuse us a little bit, all right? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 13. 
Remember the three sacrifices. And with these sacrifices, God is well pleased. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 9 and verse 13. Matthew 9 verse 13, Jesus said here, Go and learn what this means. I desire compassion or mercy in another version. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. Oh, Jesus, why did you confuse us? Why did you mess up our theology? You just said in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews just said, with these sacrifices, you're well pleased. And then in Matthew 9, you said, you, you desire compassion and not sacrifice. Now, the Lord is not saying that sacrifice is not important. He's not saying that sacrifice is not good. But He's saying that sacrifice is to be built upon mercy and compassion. That it is in the setting, the environment of community, relationships, loving one another, that we build upon it with sacrifice. It's like a setting. It's like a diamond must have a setting, a proper setting to bring out its beauty. That this whole thing about sacrificing must be within the setting of community and loving relationships that brings out that beauty. It is our love for people that will add power to our worship for God. Our love for God is always measured by how much we love people. That's why in 1 John chapter 4, the Apostle John says this, if you say you love God, you hate your brother, you are a liar. So you see here, our, our love for God is always measured by how much we love the people we have around us. So let, let me talk about sacrifice. Let me talk about the three sacrifices for a few moments. Let's first talk about the sacrifice of praise. Is that okay? Now, sometimes we watch uh, like uh, contests, okay, like uh, talent shows or contests or, you know, star awards, this kind of thing. And then some of these award winners, okay, or these contest winners, okay, they are like believers, okay. And so when they win the award, they will stand in front and they will say, oh, they will thank their father, mother, uncle, auntie, and you know, they'll thank everybody, and then, and then they'll thank, oh, I, I thank my God, I thank Jesus, you know, for helping me with this, and you know, and they give praise to God for their victory. Now, I'm not saying that they are not sincere, I believe they are all sincere, okay, but what I, what I want to say is this, okay, that it's easy to thank God and to give praise to God when they have won. But, if we were to go to the locker room of the person who have lost and they are still able to boast in God and give praise to God and declare God's goodness over their life. Alright? I think there are people who really know God. Because it's easy to praise when we are going through good times. But praise becomes a sacrifice when it is hard to praise God and we still choose to praise Him. That's when it goes into the realm of being a sacrifice. King David said in 2 Samuel 24, 24, he says, I will not offer to the Lord anything that costs me nothing. 
that it must cost us something to become a sacrifice. There must be a little discomfort. There must be a little pain for it to become a sacrifice. Now let's turn to Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah 60 and verse 18. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders, but you shall call your walls salvation. So salvation is like walls, all right? When we get born again, we get saved. The walls around our lives are built up and the Lord protects us. And your gates praise. So here in Isaiah 60, the Bible says that praise are like gates. Right? Gates are, you know, the place where people come in and go out. So in Isaiah 60, the Bible says that praise are like gates. Now let's, let's turn to Revelations 21, 21. If you can't find Revelations 21, 21 turn right to the back and then flip a few pages. <laughs> Revelations 21, 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. So we see here in Isaiah, we just saw in Isaiah 60, that the Bible says that praise is a gate. And then we see here in Revelation 21, that the gates are pearls. Are you following me? So, how are pearls formed? Now, I, I, I don't really have time to go into all the details. Okay? You can go and Google, uh, ask Wikipedia, okay, how are pearls formed. But pearls, just to summarize everything, pearls are formed through irritation and friction. When the enemy comes in one direction against us in our lives, instead of giving in, we choose to take the promises of God in our lives, we choose to take the truths of God's word and go against Him in the opposite direction. He comes against us in one direction, we go against Him in the opposite direction, that creates friction. And when we do that, when an enemy comes against us, every situation in our lives seems contrary to what God has spoken about our lives, yet we choose to go against our circumstances, go against what it looks like on the outside, that creates friction. And when we take the declarations that He has spoken over our lives, we declare it back to the enemy, there is power. That creates friction. That is praise. When in our difficult circumstances, we choose to stand and declare who God is and what He has spoken, what He has promised, the truth that He has spoken over us, that is praise. That is the sacrifice of praise. A few years ago, about three, four years ago, my family went through a tough financial situation. And when we were going through that, you know, there were moments really, okay, I can't, I, I'm not going to stand here and, and lie to you and tell you, oh, I, throughout the whole time, I was victorious, I was full of faith. <laughs> there were nights, okay, where I woke up in the middle of the night just fearful and just thinking, how are we going to ever get past this? When we look at our bank accounts, impossible. And yet in those nights, okay, when 
when fear is trying to come in, insecurity trying to come in, doubt is trying to come in, out from my heart and from my lips, okay, I can't tell you that I stood up and full of faith and declared no. It's just, sometimes it's just very softly, Lord, I choose to trust you. Yeah? It's in times like this, okay, where I choose to declare, God, you are good. When all the fear and insecurity, really sometimes we think to be courageous, to be full of faith is the absence of fear. No, I think it is when fear is there, but we are still able to trust God. And so I declare, sometimes not full of faith, but I declare, Lord, you are good, you are able to provide. And we got through it. We got through it. I really, you know, I look at the bank account now, still the same, eh? but I don't know how we got through it. We just got through it. <laughs> you know? And now I have a faith in my life because I haven't gone, having gone through that, I have a faith in my life that God can take us through, can take my family through any trials. I have built up a gate. I have built up a pearl, so to speak a gate where I can allow God to come into my family. And so I really believe that when we go through difficult times, you build God a gate through your sacrifices of praise and you will reap the fruit of those times. Let me read us a quote, okay? I saw this quote from this preacher. She said this, she said, God doesn't, okay, listen to this, this is so good. God doesn't always rescue us from pain at an altar call because walking out a process builds a history in God to trust, believe, and know Him. You know, sometimes when we go through things, we are like, God, I respond to an altar call. Can you just... Sometimes he does that, okay? Sometimes he does that. He just one time touches us. Everything is settled. But most of the time, he allows us to go through a process. Why? Because he wants to build a history in us to trust him, to know him, to believe him. Let's go on to the sacrifice of doing good. We must never stop doing good. We must never stop sowing into people's lives. Those who have need, those who are going through things, those who are in pain, we must never stop sowing. We must not detach ourselves from the pain and the need that other people are going through. Because it is when we feel their pain, really, pain does something to a person of royal identity. Pain draws out that greatness of God in us. That when we see someone going through pain and need, that is when that greatness that God has placed in us get drawn to the surface and we stand up, we rise up and we say, God, I want to do something. I want to change. I want to bring change. I want to help this person. I want to do something for this situation. It draws out that greatness and we start doing the good thing that God has created us to do. A lot of times, okay, we are a pain-avoidant culture. None of us love pain. I remember one time, okay, um, I accompanied this young person from my youth ministry uh, to IMH, okay, because his mom is actually 
not sound and uh, his mom is actually warded in IMH. So, you know, I've been to IMH a few times and I really, I really dislike going there, okay, I really dislike. Now, as pastors, okay, there are a few things we have to, go, we have to do. We have to do hospital visit, which I hate. We have to do funerals, which I hate, okay. <laughs> really? I mean, honestly, okay, especially the cremation, okay. That is the worst part, okay. It's like the, the ending part where, you know, the coffin is being moved in and everybody's like, ah, and you feel the, you feel the, you know, you feel the pain. You feel, I hate, I hate that. I hated that. You know, and when I step into the Institute of Mental Health, okay, and I see the, the people who are in there, you know, they are in one big room. It's really like what we see on TV sometimes. Okay, They're in one big room, and for the visitors, they have to come out. Okay, the patients have to come out. We can't go inside, and you know, and it's one big room, and there are all kinds of things is happening. Okay, there are people walking up and down. There are people talking to themselves, and you know, and so I accompany this young man. Okay, to visit his mom. Okay, the moment the mom comes out, the mom started scolding him. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the mom started scolding him. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not crazy. Why do you tell the doctor I'm crazy? You know, you tell the doctor I'm crazy. That's why I'm here. Even if I'm not crazy, I will be crazy staying here. You know, started scolding the the boy, and I'm sitting there as a pastor. Okay, I've been through a shepherd's training, leadership training, all kinds of training. Okay, it has never prepared me. T- yes, never. <laughs> Seriously, okay. At that moment, none of my training has taught me how what to do in that situation. I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, Lord, what am I supposed to do? You know, and I can feel the pain the family is going through. I can feel the pain the boy is going through. I can feel the pain sitting there. The the other patients, the people they are there, they are going through. I can. Feel feel it, and I tell you, right, it's a terrible feeling. I just want to run out of the place. And as I was, but as I was walking out of IMH that day, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me that this is good and healthy for your soul. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm serious, because sometimes as, as leaders and pastors, we can be so, we can be so in our Christian ivory tower, that we don't know and we are no longer in touch with people's pain and need anymore. We don't know what people go through. We come, we preach a good sermon, we go out from the back. We don't even know what is it that the people in the congregation are going through. And because of our fear of pain, of feeling this pain and grief that people are going through, we, we detach ourselves. And I don't believe Jesus is like that. Right? We read that story in the Gospels, right? When Jesus came uh, to Mary and Martha when uh, Lazarus was dead, right? Now, does Jesus know that he's going to raise him from the dead? Yes, right? He knows, right? Why did he still weep? Seriously, I'm thinking to myself, Jesus, if I'm you, uh, I know I'm going to raise him from the dead. What's that to cry about? <laughs> You know, uh, yeah, next moment he's going to be alive, really. But the Lord is able to connect with everyone's pain. 
and he's able to weep with those who weep so that he can rejoice with those who rejoice. If we don't weep with those who weep, we have no right to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. He's able to connect with people's pain that even though he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he still is willing to connect with Mary and Martha's pain and weep with them. He never detaches himself from the pain that people are going through. I'm sure you know that your pastors, you know, they are into fostering and all that. I really, really admire them for doing that. Okay? I really admire them. You know, and, and I'm just thinking, I put myself in their shoes, okay, that, you know, if I were to foster a child for some time, form a bond, form a relationship, and then after some time, this child has to go back to their original parents. Wow, that would be a very, very painful thing. Very, very painful. You know, and I saw this post from Pastor Joyce Facebook. And I want to quote you this, all right? She said this on her Facebook. We would rather experience the pain of a very great loss if it meant this little girl placed in our home could experience the gain of a very great love. We can't let the fear of loving a child who might live deter us. We must let the fear of a child never knowing love drive us. So good. Now, the needs of the people, the pain of the people in our culture, our society, might be deeper, okay, because we are so good at hiding what's on the inside. And that's why I think we as believers, we need to get closer to people so that we can feel their pain, we can feel what they are going through. And when we feel what they are going through, we feel their pain, we feel their need. That is when it draws out the love and the greatness of God that is in us. So, don't stop doing good. That is a sacrifice that God is well pleased. Lastly, the sacrifice of sharing, the sacrifice of community. Many of us build community out of convenience. Of course, okay, when, when I say this, I'm not saying that, you know, it's convenient for us to come to church. I know some of us, we go through struggles, and just coming to church is a sacrifice in itself. So, really, okay, when I share this message, I'm not coming here to tell all of you that, hey, you have not sacrificed enough. No, right? Please don't get me wrong. But sometimes we build community just out of convenience. And if it is just out of convenience, if it is still within our comfort zone, that's when it doesn't become a sacrifice. Just coming to church Sunday after Sunday out of convenience is not community. Community is when we share life. I give you a certain part of me. I receive from your life I give you something and you give me something and there's sharing of life, there's openness, there's vulnerability, there's a sense of I'm willing to open myself and let the people around me know who I am. And I go out of my comfort zone. I, I choose to go the extra mile to build a relationship, 
you know, a lot of times, okay, sometimes when I meet my friends outside, okay, who I have not seen for a long time, and then we, we shake hands, we say hi, and usually people like to end that short meeting okay, by saying something like this, let's catch up soon, huh? I never say that, okay? Unless I really want to meet up with them. Because I know usually when people say, oh, let's catch up soon, it never happens. <laughs> so I don't want to be a hypocritical, I don't want to lie by saying, let's catch up soon, but actually I don't even, I don't even really want to meet them. You know, and, and sometimes... The thing about relationship is this, okay? It doesn't happen naturally. If we just let it drift, then we will drift apart. We will never drift closer to one another. If we just let it drift, you will always be drifting apart. And if we really value the relationships, the community, the people around us, then we must come out of our convenience to build that relationship. We must take time. We must go the extra mile. I know we are living in the day and age of technology. Very easy. Just text, Facebook, Skype even. You know? And we have all kinds of time management hacks. You know? But in the day and age of technology and time management hacks, can I encourage us to not stop connecting with people face to face, not stop investing time in people's lives. Go the extra mile, come out of our comfort zone to build relationship. And when we come out of our comfort zone, it becomes a sacrifice. If we start valuing the relationships around us, okay, we start valuing every person around us, you will be amazed, you will be surprised what you can receive from God through their lives. The, the key is to learn to remain sacrificial as we grow in blessing, in abundance, in favor. You know, I've, oh, I've heard many people okay, who make comments like, oh, you know, in the past, when we first started the ministry or we first started the church, we gave a lot, we sacrificed a lot, we sold this. And, you know, and always when I hear people saying this, I'm thinking to myself, okay, what about now? Are you still sacrificing? You see, because it's, it's easy, all right, that, that you know, we, we bless and we sacrifice, we bless people out of our comfort zone, within our comfort zone, sorry. You know, and when we grow in blessing, we grow in prosperity and abundance, we stop giving, we stop living a life of sacrifice. We stop living a life of doing good. We stop living a life of giving. We stop living a life of sowing into people's lives. But I really believe, okay, that, that God wants us to learn how to remain sacrificial while increasing in blessing. I think that 
is the way God will bless us. That God will bless us only when we have learned how to steward His blessing. How? Through remaining and learning to remain sacrificial and to be big givers and blessers and lovers of the people around us. I want to close with this. Let's all uh, stand to our feet. Can I have the worship team to come out? With such sacrifices, God is well pleased. The sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of doing good, and the sacrifice of community, the sacrifice of fellowship. I want to close with this uh, passage of scripture. I'm sure we all know this. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says here, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek his own, is not provoked things, no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Wow. I love this passage of Scripture. You know, it's always, you know, sometimes we, as we progress in our Christian life, we learn things, we learn how to do ministry, we learn how to do church, so to speak. And we will always, you know, have, the Lord will always have to bring us back to that place where He will remind us, okay, that it's all about love. It's all about love for God and love for the people around us, okay. And 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 really, okay, I, I think about my own, and I've been in youth ministry a long time, okay? I think about my own youth ministry. And when we were starting out, okay, I tell you, we will have uh, services, okay, where there were, there were just four, five hours. People are just hungry for God, you know? Just just laying their lives at the altar as a living sacrifice. And the sacrifices of our hunger, the sacrifice of our, you know, our passion for God and for people, the sacrifices of our tears will stay in the altar areas, you know? And then when we progress, when we grow, we learn how to do ministry. We learn how to do youth ministry. We learn how to do outreach. And that is when we start, you know, to, we start drifting away of that, that just simplicity of coming before the Lord and just breaking our hearts before God and just laying our lives at the altar. We come to that place of, oh, we know what to do. We come to the place of, you know, we use our knowledge. Now we know how to build outreach. We know how to, we are media savvy. We are, our social media is very good now. Our media department is very good now and all these things. And we forgot that it's really the sacrifices of, of hunger. is really laying our lives as living offerings at the altar that have brought us where we are. And God has to bring us back to that place where He reminds us, hey, it's all about love. It's all about laying that sacrifice on the altar that the fire of God falls not because, you know, we know how to create an environment for Him to fall. No, it's because the sacrifices are laid. Sacrifices are prepared on the altar. 
and fire will always fall on sacrifice. So I want to challenge us here as a church family here at the city that we make sure that on the altar of our lives and on the altar of this church there is always sacrifices and when there is always sacrifices God will fall His fire will fall He will fall It's not He may fall He will fall when we give God something worth burning, His fire will come. So Father, we, we thank You for this morning. Lord, I thank You for my friends here at the city. I thank You, Lord, for what You are doing. Father, I just pray that You will speak to their hearts. Father, I thank You for the fire that is on this altar. I thank You for the people who have sacrificed God to bring this church, Lord, to where it is today. I thank you for the people who have given of their lives, given of their time, given of their efforts, their finances, God, to make this happen. I thank you. I bless them. Father, I pray even as they grow, they prosper, you increase them in blessing, in abundance, in influence, in favor. God, let them remain, God, in that place, Lord, of like a poverty, God, of spirit, Lord, like being poor in spirit like being poor in spirit for you say God being poor those who are poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom Father we pray teach us God even as you bless us even as you increase us in favour in blessing Lord let us remain poor in spirit let us Lord have that heart God of simplicity and brokenness and hunger and we will always draw near to you and cry out to you and say Lord you are the one God that will move you are the one that will provide you are the one God Lord that will make things happen and not our own knowledge not our own expertise not our own wisdom Father I pray for Lord such a love God for you God to Lord fill our hearts God such a love for one another to fill our hearts this morning I thank you Lord in Jesus name Amen